Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Ray Allen Canine. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine equipment. We use their products every single day at both Van Ness Canine and at Torchlight. Their mission statement says it all to be the world leader in quality innovation for professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport tend to exceed their customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe that they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine, not just police dogs, but for any working dog. This episode is also brought to you by our good friends over at Dogtra, dogtra.com. It's the e-collars that Ted and I use. It's the e-collars most police dog guys use. Dogtra.com, e-collars, bark collars, ball launchers, one-stop shop for everything you need for your working dog, dogtra.com. One of the other sponsors we're proud to have is HITS Canine Training Conference. It's the premier Amer- it's the premier canine training seminar in the United States, packed in the room with the world's best instructors covering important topics from admins to liability to detection work, all and tracking and everything in between. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. HITS 2022 is being held in Orlando in August. Uh, so hit them up, hitscanine.net. We're super happy to be uh, represented by our good friends at Kinetic Dog Food. Uh, we've got great reviews from people all over the place. Uh, ever since we, we joined up with them and partnered with them, their uh, commitment to your dog's nutrition is top-notch. KineticDogFood.com. Check them out. Jim over at NC Canine out in North Carolina. It's the culmination of 13 years of experience in handling or training uh, law enforcement canines. They use real-world deployments to develop their training program and rely not only on their experience, but the current experience of the nation's canine handlers provide the best canine partner you can get. They provide pet training and police canine training based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas as well as nationally. Feel free to call them and learn more about their dog training program, police canine techniques and methodologies. We got a brand new sponsor, man, American Aluminum Accessories. Uh, my entire time in canine and ever since I've been involved in the dogs, the kennel in the back of our cruisers has always been American aluminum. Uh, check them out. Uh, we're so happy to have them on here. Easyrideronline.com. Easyrideronline.com for everything you need from American aluminum accessories. Speaking of kennels, once you get out of the car, you got to have somewhere to put them. So our friends up in Ohio at Horizon Structures make a one-stop shop for kennel. If you want a two-dog kennel or if you want a 20-dog kennel, they got you covered. They get those things built and they drop it off at your house. All you got to have is a pad, electricity, and water, and you can put dogs in it that day. Horizon Structures can build you anything from mild to wild, and it is the one-stop shop, and you don't have to swing a single hammer. So hit them up, horizonstructures.com. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, as always with me from Canton, Ohio, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Uh, so about two hours ago, I did a wedding. A lot of people don't know I'm an ordained minister. So I was out on the boat here at the lake. Um, let me see. I'll stand up. See if you, can... you guys got to go to YouTube to see this. This is a shirt I wore at my 50th birthday party. It's in sync. And that's me is one of the, Oh, holy shit. And on top of that, I have sleeves on and you don't correct. I, for the first time. So, wow, man, I, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that. I'm wearing my uh, Tosca shirt today and Nick Bean needs to fucking come on the show. I've been bugging him about it, but um, yeah. So yeah. Well, uh, dogs all day married uh, a friend of mine and her, uh, her boyfriend. And here we are. 
doing pets. Uh, I had the city inspector out today. Um, they gave me the uh, blessing on our electricity. So they're dropping a giant, huge air conditioner. It's like the size of my car on the building next week. Uh, but I'm going to be in Billings, Montana for HRD. Uh, we've got that thing that's kind of sold out. We have a ton of audit slots too, admin audit slots. So I'm like, hey, hopefully we'll see how that goes. So yeah, it's going to be... Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, and apparently it's, somebody was asking me the other day, it's like, oh, it's going to be nice up there. I'm like, fuck no, it's hot. It's like here. <laughs> it's 100 degrees. No, it's not nice up there. They're like, oh, it'll be a dry heat, which we'll talk about here in a second. I'm like, it's still fucking hot. I don't care. Um, other than that, we're just doing a lot of pets. Um, just got rid of a green dog the other day. He's going to be going um, to a department over in Arkansas. So other than that, we haven't been doing a whole lot other than sweating. So, yeah, you know, I did, uh, my assistant trainer guy went on a deep sea fishing trip for a couple of days. So Tuesday I did all the dogs myself, uh, and I'm imprinting dogs. So I have three, three that I'm doing right now, three or four, and I'm right. doing, um, two explosives and two drug dogs. Uh, and one of them is on, uh, two of them are on tube, tube direct or indirect reward for food. One is a box protocol and the other one is indirect to a toy. And uh, he texted me today. He goes, how'd it go? I go, why do I have so many fucking steps? Why is there so many steps to the facility? It's so dumb. <laughs> why, why is it? So why far? didn't I put everything on the first floor? It's, and <laughs> there's no air there? conditioning in the building. It's, it's, I mean, I got fans going, it's hot. I'm when I was there. I thought that too. I was like, I got lung problems, dude. I can't be problems. running up and down the damn steps. Uh, you know that, but it's got asbestos in it, too. Don't they I, have I don't like, know. It, it, it there's might, like tank know. parts or something buried in there, too, right? Uh, somewhere on the property, yeah, at the end of World War II. There's like a fucking two. tank buried there. There's a whole bunch of track vehicles somewhere. They dug a hole at the end of the war, lost the con you know, contracts were over, buried buried it, and concreted it over it, and filled a building. So, it's probably, the under, grave, the, it's probably the, under the gravestone in the yeah. fucking basement. There's a lady buried yeah. under the building. So good times. Talk all that. So who do we have tonight? So um, we have a, a guy who um, I back when I went to work for Cobra on the on the West Coast or at NSW, I had missed. I don't know. We'll find out uh, that year, maybe or a, by a year. I think maybe I missed him. And I went and essentially kind of took his place, I think, or his slot that was there. And he went off to do some stuff for the Marines. Um, he's got a thriving, uh, pet dog business and on a pretty freaking sweet piece of property. And, uh, guys that I know that have been there said the facility is amazing. Um, we'll talk about, he just had a uh, seminar out there, things he's done and a very popular, uh, puppy obstacle course video that has kind of gone blowing up. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So we have our friend Dustin Wynn. Dustin, how are you doing, buddy? Hey guys, I'm doing good. How are you? Good, man. We're really glad you could uh, come on with us. Um, I know you have to get I's, you know, dotted and T's crossed and everything by some folks to to talk. But uh, we really do been a appreciate. Long time. It. Been a long time yeah. coming. Yeah, I think I asked you last year, and you're like, "Yeah." And I, I want to say I want to say it was two years ago. I want to say it was uh, it was at uh, uh, one of the I, I don't want to mention the, the conference name, but the one in uh, Vegas. Yeah. that could have been Wait. yeah yeah we don't go there anymore, so. <laughs> yeah I, I, for those that can't hear it can't see me i just made a face it's fine 
Uh, (laughs) So uh, you're out in San Diego. Um, You, how long have you been out of the Marines? So I've been, I've been out of active duty service. Um, I exited in 2003 um, and then started some overseas contracting with some security firms um, in Iraq. So talk a little bit about, you know, what led you into the Marines and we'll go through that whole story about how we get to end up doing dog stuff. So yep. start, at the, start at the beginning. Yeah. So my career started uh, at 99, but I joined the Marine Corps um, kind of not really understanding what, um, what my career path really entailed other than um, I wanted to be in the Marine Corps. I didn't want to stay in the, the small town that I grew up in in Minnesota. Um, and I wanted to get out and kind of see the world and, uh, and, and do a little bit more than, than sit there. So um, I decided to join the Marine Corps in high school and as a senior, um, entered the Marine Corps as uh, at that time it was what uh, first available for me was going as a military police officer. So I decided to take that, um, entered the Marine Corps in August of 2000, or th- sorry, 99, um, and then was in MP school um, in the first part of, of uh, 2000. Um, in, while I was going through MP school, they came through and said, uh, Hey, uh, anybody looking to be dog handlers or thinking about canine, um, you gotta, you gotta do a, a written inter- or a written, uh, essay, and then we'll do an oral interview with you, uh, to see if it's something you qualify for. So, uh, I decided to kind of take the, kind of raise my hand and, and step forward and, and write the essay and, uh, and then do the oral interview. And I was one of, uh, one of very few guys that got selected, um, to be a pipeline, uh, a canine handler, military working dog handler. Um, straight out of MP school, which was really, really big feat at the time. Um, so I went to I went to canine school, um, three months in Lackland Air Force Base, learning you know your basic bite, your basic basic apprehension, um, and then your detection uh, skill set. So after that, I uh, graduated in July or June of uh, of 2000 and went straight to Okinawa, Japan. Worked a bomb dog or a explosive detection dog there for about a year. Um, did a lot of that was a lot of customs and and uh, uh, border enforcement kind of stuff with uh, with detection, basically getting fapped out to um, to immigration, uh, and then you go out and you do detection searches and stuff like that uh, for narcotics on health and welfare, um, and that's kind of what what we did while I was there. That was the the main focus. We'd get flown out to some of the ships coming into port um, on helicopters. You you get out, you do a, a health and comfort um, welfare check on the individuals coming back from ports like Philippines and things like that. Um, so you check for narcotics and then you get, uh, you get off the boat and you go about your business. Um, when I came back from, uh, Okinawa, Japan, I got stationed at Miramar in San Diego, um, as a, uh, as an explosive detection, dual purpose, uh, explosive detection and uh, bite dog, um, had some fun there on, on, uh, on Miramar at the time. That was probably one of the, uh, most active other than Okinawa, Japan, the, the hook and jab. Um, is what they called the enlisted club there, the hook and jab. So mm-hmm. uh, that was always a that was always a riot. You'd work dogs there, and sometimes you'd go in and get a bite, or sometimes somebody'd come out and get a bite. So it was interesting. Uh, but then coming back from overseas, uh, Okinawa, staged, uh, stationed at Miramar, uh, that E club was really active. So I was able to get some uh, get some active uh, bites there, um, which were my first of of the uh, of my career. Um, and then what, what was a, a, the, a career changer for me, I think is, uh, 9-11 when 9-11 happened, I just got off a night shift, um, uh, worked in the E-club and, and had an active night. So I had packed my things up and, and went back to my barracks room. Uh, when I got a knock at the door and, and it was one of the handlers there and they said, uh, Hey, you gotta, you gotta get back to the kennel. Something, something's not right. Um, th- there's 
some stuff going on. So I, and, and me as a, as a young Marine, as a, a Lance corporal, you know, I'm kicking rocks going back to the kennels. Like, geez, I, I just finished a, uh, a, a night shift, a long night shift. I, I, I did kennel care the, the morning of, and then I got out of there. Um, mm-hmm. So here I'm kicking rocks back to the kennels and, and lo, lo and behold, I walk into the second plane hitting the towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was, uh, uh, I think it, for me, an emotional time as a dog handler, as a, as a bomb dog handler, uh, explosive detection dog handler, um, changed my life forever because I was immediately thrown into chaos um, because I was one of few bomb dog handlers or explosive detection dog handlers um, in the in the Marine Corps, but in, in military in general didn't have a huge selection of of explosive detection dogs at the time that were, were dual trained. Yeah. Um, so the transition period um, when they started ramping everything up, but in the meantime, I got so much work I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, we were we were sent to other bases. Uh, the, our base Miramar was immediately locked down, um, and, and we went on basically a twenty four hour rampage of, of explosive detection on uh, vehicles entering Miramar um, in San Diego there. So the, the traffic was intense um, and then getting fapped out to other bases that didn't have adequate amount of, of explosive detection dogs um, and then um, getting deployed to Saudi Arabia uh, intel gathering mission because most of the the 9-11 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia area. Um, so that that put us into, into an intel gathering mission there. Um, so we were able to do some decent work in Saudi Arabia. I was there for about eight months, came back to uh, 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 San Diego again. Um, and within a, a couple months, I got the notice that I'd be going to Afghanistan for an Afghan deployment. Um, uh, within, I, I think I maybe spent three months at home and then I did a quick turn and burn and went to um, Afghanistan, was deployed there for about five and a half months. And then my, my dog, while I was over there, my six-year-old German Shepherd, uh, Aura, um, her name was Aura. Um, developed some hip problems and I had to sideline myself from the rest of that deployment, which was only about another, another two weeks or, or three weeks, something like that, um, and get sent back because she couldn't complete the task anymore. So, I mean, I, I definitely worked her pretty hard the last two and a half years that I was active duty with her, um, you know, and she was only a six-year-old dog, but um, I was able, uh, one of the few guys and one of the first guys um, back in the day that was able to retire their military working dog from active duty service and take her home and allow her to live, um, you know, a retired life at that point, let her be a couch dog and, and eat what she wanted and, and not really focus too much on, on her training. I still did some fun stuff with her. Um, but I was able to take her, um, when I left the Marine Corps and, uh, and, and at least try to pay her back for the services that she provided me. So those folks that don't understand, like, um, oh, they hear, oh, you're at Miramar, and then what they don't know, you're, you spend a lot of time at Pendleton and stuff. Talk about how massive those places are when it comes to trying to work explosive detection at, at a place like that. Like, I don't think people understand how big of area that the Marines have up in between those two places. In, it's, uh, in between where? Like Miramar and Camp Pendleton and all the places that you probably bounced around to with that dog when you came after 9-11. Oh, yeah. No. And, and the, the crazy part was so, I mean, you, you're you're working gate checks. You're working. I mean, at that point, every every entry point was locked down. It was funneled into one area and all those vehicles had to be searched on the way in. So you're out there. I mean, you're just it, it got pretty grueling. Luckily, it wasn't a hot time of the year. It was it was fading into 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 fall and winter time. Um, so that was the only really saving grace to us working the long hours that we did. Um, I mean, it, it was not uncommon for us to work um, 16 hours in a day and, and go hang it up for a little while and give her some break. Um, 
but what was unique about my position is um, right after right after the towers fell, it, it wasn't soon after I was there um, shortly after the towers fell, I was at ground zero doing secondary sweeps for devices um, that they were worried about being planted there on, uh, you know, visiting dignitaries. It could have been the president, you know, anybody could have been a target at that point, responders, first responders, second, you know, the, the people that showed up there, um, you know, they didn't know if they were going to be targeted either. So they had us out there ser searching the perimeter, the speaking po podiums, the observation decks, um, for secondary devices on a, on a, on an almost daily basis when I was in New York for about a month's time frame after the towers fell. Wow. That's crazy, man. That, that had to have been, I mean, that's something you're never going to forget, right? No. Well, and, and it's, it's not only the sights, it's the, the sounds, the smell smells. Yeah. It, it was insane. And I'll never forget those. And, and, you know, I, I had, that was my dog, my, I had aura down there and she was the one that went through and, and did the work with me. And it's just, it's crazy when you think back. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think I, I, you know, recall some of those moments, but until I sit down and do interviews like this, I guess I kind of, it's almost like kind of a blocked out moment in my life that I don't think a lot about until it gets brought up. Yeah. So when you're, when you go to, uh, to, you go to Lackland and you go out to Okinawa, who's the dog that goes there? So those dogs. So when you go to, when you go to Lackland, what you're doing is you're picking up a dog um, that is probably towards the tail end of its career in the, in the, uh, the military. Um, a lot of times they might have behavioral issues, things like that. Um, they're just maybe not suitable as a, um, as a primary working dog at one of the bases. And it could be Navy, Marine Corps, Army. It doesn't matter. It's just those dogs get funneled back to Lackland. Um, sometimes it could be a green dog. You might get handed a green dog uh, for the classmates that um, maybe sh showed a little better. Um, they get green dogs and they work green dogs through the course. Um, so it, it could go either way. It could be a, a, you know, a veteran dog that is pretty much push button for all intents and purposes, a problem dog, which I, you know, I had one of the problem dogs there, or it could be a green dog that no, really knows nothing. And you, that with the help of the instructors, you're, you're going through the learning process with that dog as a brand new handler. So, um, so and sometimes those handlers get the opportunity to take that dog with them when they leave and go to their next uh, duty station. So when you go to Okinawa, there's a dog waiting for you there. There's a dog waiting there. There's a dog there that had, um, when I picked up Barry, military working dog Barry in Okinawa, Japan in early uh, or, or mid 2000, um, that dog had been through six handlers already. Wow. Six handlers. And he was, he was an older dog. He was probably in the latter stages. I think he maybe had three more handlers after I left that worked oh. him. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Right. Because at the time you got to understand we were doing year rotations there. That was only a year that I would spend. So you'd come up, you do a cert with an annual cert with that dog. And you'd ride out your time with that dog and then you drop the leash and you'd say bye and you'd walk away and never see that dog again. Well, what's your, what was your opinion of Barry have being a new guy? Uh, I, I mean, I look back and Barry was probably a lower drive, uh, Mal, um, that kind of had a weird shaped head, but uh, great dog. I mean, he did, he did the work for me, but a little bit lower drive. I, I, you know, thinking back, it was probably a good starter dog for me and, and kind of got my feet wet a little bit and, uh, you know, jumped into some high, uh, much harder hitting uh, higher drive, dogs down the road so he set me up for success mm -hmm. yeah so the next dog now he was barry dual purpose he was dual purpose right barry was a a, a narc uh, bike yeah he was yeah, a, okay a, yep so most and, most you got then um were dual purpose they were either uh narc and bite or bomb, uh, explosive and bite um okay and yeah structured the the program at, the, at that time 
after 9-11, that all changed. It, you went to tracking dogs, single purpose tracking dogs, <clears throat> single purpose explosive detection dogs, mm -hmm. combat tracking dog teams. So you had, uh, you had SSDs, you had just a, a, a very wide variety of dogs that kicked, kicked off um, after 9-11. Yeah, we talked to some of the TED handlers. Yeah, which that program got absorbed into something else and then something else. And then that was about the time. And we were talking about this before we came on. We interviewed some of the guys from some of the other specialized units that we'll get into uh, in, other, in other episodes. But that was about the time that everyone was like, <laughs> why do we have them out, man? Yeah, they were like, why do the only the fucking cops have them? Like, why do only why do only MWD guys have them? I mean, one of the very first episodes we ever did was uh, Benny Benito. Right. And he was an MA in the fucking Navy. And those damn net guys came over and they're like, hey, <laughs> we're like, we need your help. <laughs> and then forever he was just Benny the dog guy. So, yep. yeah, I mean, I, that was about the same time. And like, it's it's weird because, you know, because Benny was in the, the Navy the same time that you were in, in the Marines. And it was kind of the same deal. And like, everybody has the same story about how those units started they're all like looking around and everybody's looking around and they're like well who has all the dogs they're like it's all the fucking cops all the cops have dogs all the ma guys and, and all the mw or all the all the police guys have fucking dogs and then so they went and farmed you kids out so yep and all those cops all the cop dogs you know those military working dogs got immediate work and really some intense work that um was never anticipated or, or never even thought about at that time of, of getting that kind of work, which was crazy because you went from kind of a garrison mindset to there a very a very combat mindset very quickly. Yeah, uh, you know, we just inter we interviewed Sinead and Borrow, which yeah. has will come out uh, before this episode. So if right. you listen to us now, you've already listened to it. She was just down in Florida at the collapsed condo building doing yeah. work with her search and rescue dog, and she talks about the smell and that the smell at that building is something that she's never going to forget. And that's a yeah. fraction, a tiny fraction of the size of nine 11. How many, how many Marine Corps guys were there after when you were there? So the whole reason, the whole purpose that they, they initially sent us down there was the, the G eight summit was um, still going to kick off, right? The, the U S government didn't want to shut down. Um, the UN operations and make it look like uh, there was um, any kind of turmoil within, uh, you know, within the states. So um, what they did is they, they, they kept the G8 summit going. So they needed a mass amount of um, explosive detection dog handlers um, to provide security, um, which the Secret Service couldn't cover. FBI couldn't cover it either. So what we did is we got no. basically mapped out to that to Secret Service and FBI um, to go out there and, and, uh, and do the work that they couldn't facilitate on their end. Um, and there was, I mean, looking, if I had to guess there was maybe of the Marine Corps dog handlers, there was probably 10 of us there, I, I'm guessing. Um, but then that's just the Marine Corps guys. There was other, there was other handlers there as well from um, other units and things like that. So, so one of the things I like to ask guys that are, um, when they think back that are new, that end up handling multiple dogs. Um, so we'll, I'll stick with Barry. What did he teach you that dog? You know, I, Gosh, looking back, I mean, it was it was certainly a skill set that I was new to, right? So he was, for all intents and purposes, a push button dog. So I learned really good dog behavior um, because I didn't have to do a lot of work. I let him kind of do the work and show me, um, and then I could read him really well. So I think, if anything, he taught me some really good um, animal behavior, um, good lesson learned on on uh, you know what what to look for um, in a in a good dog. So I, above all, I would say good 
you know, just being able to read a dog really well. So uh, going back, you then you said you had to go over to, uh, so after you go to um, New York, you head over to um, uh, Saudi Arabia for some intelligence gathering stuff. And that's, you didn't get to finish that one out because the dog ended up getting injured or no, 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 or that was aura with me. I fin I was able to finish out that deployment okay. at about, about eight months um, there. And it was uh, at a place called Escon village is kind of where we um, able to set. Up. I don't think it's even an operation anymore. Um, if it is, it's more of a, um, a contractor spot um, where they're doing some of the oil stuff out there. But um, I don't think there's any more military uh, individuals there, maybe just contractors. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, um, we worked some perimeter security and then also um, getting attached to some of the units that were going out and doing um, more extreme work um, in the city, doing raids, stuff like that. So, um, and then you come back after this, um, what year are we in now? 2000. So that, that was 2002. Okay. So in, uh, yeah. And then uh, shortly right about uh, the later part of 2002 is when I um, made the move or um, got back from uh, Saudi Arabia, stayed over Christmas time. And then about uh, early 2003 is when I went over to Afghanistan. So take us through that. Like when you get back to the United States, um, uh, did you switch dogs again? <laughs> so no, before you hit I was able to, so anytime you're stationed on the base, right, you, you, you that, that dog is maintained with you. Um, right. If you duty station, then that dog, um, you know, at that time was left behind and you, you picked up a new dog when you got to that next duty station. Um, I was fortunate enough that, that um, I stayed, the remainder of my active duty time was at Miramar. So um, when I got back from Saudi Arabia, I maintained that dog. We did all our certs. We had to redo a recert, um, get pumped for uh, uh, Afghanistan. And in that day, man, like you got to understand, like 2003, that was, you know, some of the initial, uh, you know, uh, very initial push into uh, into Afghanistan. You know, it was it was fairly new, still driving around soft skin vehicles um, in uh, in Afghanistan. And then when Not I went safe. to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and at that time, there wasn't I mean, there was still there's a threat. Obviously, there's always an indirect fire threat. Um, IED weren't. Sorry, guys. I, IEDs weren't, um, weren't, you know, extremely, and they weren't too prevalent. They were still there, but it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. Um, but when I get, went to get my, my combat deployment issue, um, I got issued a fucking flak jacket, a Vietnam flak jacket nice. with a, with an LBV. And I'm not joking. I got, I got a, a LBV and, and a, and a, a, a flak jacket that was, uh, well, at that time, I was still rocking the old woodlands. That was, that was still the uniform uh, that, that, was being, uh, that was being rocked at the time. So um, was really- about 40 pounds, that flak jacket? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it, and probably it had rips in it. I don't know that it would have stopped anything, really, at that point. Um, so, but that's what I got issued. That's what I went to combat with. Obviously, when I got there, things, things changed a little bit. I dropped some. They had some equipment in country that, that, we, that we grabbed a hold of. Um, but- that transit into into country with that equipment i was like oh and i think i i may have even had an m16 with me man I, at the time that was that was another thing too so nice. here i am with yeah here i'm i got a long gun with me and and we're rolling into country and um you know and, and i didn't know what to expect honestly i was keeping my my uh um kind of mind open to, to what to expect um 
I get to, we get to Germany. You spend a little bit of time in Germany. We partied pretty hard in Germany before we went uh, went and took the last leg into Kandahar. Um, and then in Kandahar, you're really kind of fending for yourself at that point. You're going, uh, well, how, how do we get to Bagram? How do we get to the airbase so that we can get you know pushed to our unit? Um, and uh, you're pretty much there, just uh, you know, tr- like. I felt like I was bartering for a flight, right? You're, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're trying to like get a flight and, and go here and go there. Maybe you got to go a roundabout way. And at the time it was just, you talk to the, uh, the, the ops chief and the guy would line you up with the flight. Maybe the flight goes through, maybe it doesn't. And uh, we went up and, and talked to him and I said, Hey, we got two dogs. Um, we got just us. We got our gear all, all palletized already. What can we do to get us on the next flight to Bagram? And he goes, well, I, I got a flight going, but it's, it's got to make a stop. I said, uh, I said, okay, well, uh, you know, the, the stop's fine. Like wherever, wherever it's going. I, I mean, I'll, as long as we're getting there, a stop, I don't mind. He goes, he goes, okay. He goes, uh, I'll, I'll put you on that flight. So we got on that flight and, and, uh, it was probably one of the more intense flights. I mean, you gotta understand coming from, you know, garrison environment and then maybe a little bit of action in, uh, in Saudi. And then now a full on combat environment, combat deployment, you're going in and going, uh, uh, you know, you're getting on the flight, you're all palletized and you're rolling. And uh, before you know it, the 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 C-130 you're on starts doing a, you know, a corkscrew, uh, you know, pr- pretty steep dive into uh, a landing zone of some sort that you don't, I mean, you're not looking out, you're sitting in your, in your jump seat, right? You're at your cargo net um, and you're doing your thing. And uh, it wheels around one time. And then this thing, I swear to God, it must've bounced like four times when it hit the ground, you know, <laughs> shock load, boom, boom, but it bounced. Uh, and as we're rolling, the ass end of the, the C-130 drops, drops down. Um, and without, honest to God, it, it didn't stop. It kept moving. Um, in come, you know, the, the ATVs, you know, with, uh, you know, full, just all kitted up, crazy looking uh, ATVs, uh, you know, and, and these guys that had probably been, um, get, been out in, in, uh, in the environment for months at a time, come wheeling up inside, uh, you know, this thing, they, they ratchet everything down. And, you know, no sooner did, did they get everything ratcheted down that the ass end pulls back up and we're taken off and we're on our way to Bagram. So that was my introduction to, to, to that environment. Um, and this guy sits down next to me. He goes, uh, he goes, hey, where the fuck's this plane going? And I said, damn, man, I think it's going to Bagram, but, but I really don't know at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm a little lost. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck we're at. <laughs> where we're at to go to Bagram. Yeah, I, I guess that's, that's the last I knew. Yeah. Dude's got a big ass fucking beard. You're like, oh, oh just, yeah, yeah. It, it was a wild experience, and 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 to get that kind of like immediate burst, uh, you know, in, into that environment was uh, it was a little shell. It was a little shell shocking to to say the least. But um, I, I think for anybody that is is going into that environment and they see that, I think that's just like a oh here yeah here we are all right let's go let's do it. So real quick, I um, I get uh. I was on, I got hired in 1996 at the police department, 97. I get on SWAT. Uh, we have no rifles. We only have MP5. We have three MP5s, which I thought were the greatest thing ever. Right. Pistol shotgun MP5. That's, that was our loadout for the guys on the raid teams. I left the, so we were using uh, rock river um, rifles. Uh, and then I get off the team in 2012 and they give me a M16A1 as my, in 2012, dude. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. It, they're like, yeah, we cleaned the Cosmoline off this shit, this rifle before we gave it to you. It was that free, free government rifles that they gave, yeah. you know, <laughs> thousands. They're like, yeah, this, this was Vietnam. The, the fucking carry handle on it and everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your shit. Yep. Yep, so before we break, when you're there in Afghanistan, obviously it's different than where you've been before. What was your mission? So that was, uh, I, we were attached to a unit that was um, in charge and responsible for the direct security of the U.S. Embassy in, in Kabul, right? It was, a, it was basically just a, a building that was um, fortified, uh, taken over by the U.S. government. Um, to set up operations, diplomatic op operations in, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, and that was, that was our main objective. Um, and within, within that objective, we got the opportunity to do um, other, other work. But for the most part, it was, it was direct support and security of the U.S. Embassy in, in Afghanistan. I can imagine that was busy. Very, it was extremely busy. Yeah. Ooh, I can think of a couple of places that I would rather be. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just American Embassy, fucking Afghanistan. And it was it was such a target at the time in 2003. It was uh, you had a, a lot of indirect fire. You had um, you know just mortars and rockets lobbed in whenever they felt like um, they wanted to, which was on a regular basis. So um, just a really really uh, extreme environment to be a part of. And then you know you know you're making supply runs to to um, Bagram, which was. I, I believe about a 30 or 40 minute drive through, uh, through the country, um, in a soft skin vehicle. And you're just, you know, you're so you're just cruising through, uh, through the hills of Afghanistan, which was really crazy. So we, we, fortunate son. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With your fucking M16. Oh, I, I have, I have <laughs> Sony headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to walk, man. Way. Anybody else? Got to walk. Yeah. Getting shot at by dudes wearing fucking Jordans. <laughs> Uh, so we're, we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, uh, we'll do some more in-country stuff and we'll kind of transfer into, uh, the latter part of that. So don't go anywhere. Don't fast forward through the commercials. We have a long standing relationship with the guys over at hits canine training conference. Uh, it's truly America's premier canine seminar. It is the largest. It is the best. Um, they cover every important topic in the canine industry, hundreds and hundreds of vendors, thousands of canine people there. Everybody you know in this industry is there. Ted and I will be teaching. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Also check out their website, hitscanine.net. They have other classes that they're putting out online, uh, Zoom classes and all kinds of other things. They're offering in-person classes leading up to Hits 2022, Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Check it out, hitscanine.net. Everyone knows me, knows that I live on chicken nuggets and Coors Light. So uh, that doesn't mean your dog should, though. Um, our friends at Kinetic um, are, make it a, a point to fuel working dogs, and they know that it can be tough, and they need high-quality food, unlike me, to give them energy and the nutrients that they require. I just subsist on air and you know Coors Light, which, but the dogs can't. They actually have to work. So for that, we asked Kinetic, and Kinetic has come up with a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working in sport dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line for thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. You can buy it locally online or at Tractor Supply, or you can get it at Chewy. So head over to their website, kineticdogfood.com, 513-615-6904. And get them on the socials at Kinetic Dog Food. 
So probably the number one product I've ever advertised for or used that set that does what they say is quick turn by vet care. Uh, I have it uh, at my house. I have it at the kennel. I have it at the fun house. I have it at the uh, doggy daycare. I have my trainers have it at their house. It is unbelievable how it works. You guys have all heard Ted and I talk about it, how we've gotten tagged by dogs or dogs do, you know, if you're dealing with working dogs, weird stuff happens, right? It's cuts that how the hell that happened bites scratches all kinds of things that happen especially if you're doing anything in the wooded area they get tore up uh the quick derm by vet care it is no exaggeration it is great so once daily treatment for any skin condition or small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones comes in sprays ointments or dressing quick derm is great at creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing the best thing too is they have a discount code. Get on their website, vetcare.us. That's vetcare.us. Put in the discount code 10WDR in capital letters, 10WDR for 10% off your first order. These next guys uh, have actually been on the show and we instructed at uh, the first uh, Tripwire conference down in Florida. Uh, Jim O'Brien was a guest on the show. Uh, and he runs NC Canine, who has now come onto the show as a sponsor. Um, Jim's been around for quite a long time, about 13-ish years, uh, with experience handling and training law enforcement canines. Um, he uses real-world deployments to develop training program and not rely only on their experience, but current experiences from most of their national canine teams and handlers to provide the best canine partner that you guys can, can purchase. They provide pet training and police canine services based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas. Feel free to give Jim a call, a text, carrier pigeon, however you want to get a hold of him uh, to, to talk to him about police canine training or pets and techniques and methodologies. So hit him up at 919-438-0141 or J O'Brien. That's J-O-B-R-I-E-N at N-C, letter K number nine dot U-S. Check the show notes. We'll put it there. All right, we are back uh, with our buddy Dustin, uh, Dustin Wynn from North County Canada out in San Diego, uh, and we're listening to Vietnam era stories about Vietnam era equipment. And fuckers were accurate though. <laughs> Iron sights in that mean, bitch was accurate. I, you can, I know. no doubt about it. Yeah, it makes sight. you it makes you a better shooter. Like, I, yeah, I'm a I'm an Iron Iron sights uh, uh, fanatic, man. I love them. Listen, right before I got off the SWAT team, I shot a dude on a drug raid. Uh, I was on um, I was on perimeter and he came, he shot at the team and then came up to the window. I tracked him through the house and he came out and busted the window out, pointed the gun. That little EOTech site there, I was better than iron sights. There was no no question because I could look, just see that and never move my head. Yep. Down, done. Oh yeah, that, that's once you get that, once you get a taste of that kind of uh, optic, yeah. yeah, it's so different. Because here's me with iron sights. Yep. I got tongue out, biting the side of my face. Yeah. Like when that. Melnick, when Melnick came through town last time, or not last time, a couple times before, he had an MP5 with him, a suppressed MP5 with one of those sights on it. It's like playing a fucking video game. It's a video <laughs> like, game. <laughs> I mean, at 40 yards, I mean, it's just like. I MP5s mean, are so, so fun. So, I mean, it's like, it was like playing you a video put a game. Baby, <laughs> you can get a yeah. baby to shoot a perfect group with an MP5. Oh, oh. We just got demonetized. So, um, yeah, right. <laughs> thanks, Eric. Babies with guns. <laughs> Babies yeah. and guns. We don't I'm condemn children playing with fire. Like me. <laughs> so, all right. Here, 
sorry, you're in Afghanistan and you are at this point uh, securing the embassy. Well, the building that is the embassy and yeah. dudes are taking pot shots at you. You guys, did they give you a new fucking vest or are you still wearing the flak jacket? Oh, I was still rocking a flak jacket, man. That was, uh, that, was my kit. Uh, that was how I operated. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was able to upgrade to a little bit better than an LBV, um, which was I'm like a like a mesh vest that you put on that had mag holders and oh, you know yeah. you could you know and they even they even issued me a canteen with a canteen holder in it as well when I, when I got my 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 deployment issue yeah it was it was wild it was a full on Vietnam issue uh, what the kicker is when I got in country so oh. we I get in, we do our um, they they had a they flown in they had flown in a vet because they knew that there was going to be an influx of dogs um, so they do initial health check on the dog. And we're on our way uh, back from that health check, and we're we're in these soft skin vehicles, um, these Humvees, and you know the, the backs of those things drop all the way down, right? It's not that it folds out to like a, a tailgate; that thing folds all the way down. So I go to get my dog out of the back of this thing, and her back paw slips between the tailgate and the bed of the, the bed of the Humvee, and wow. Uh, wow. It, it almost gloved her paw, like it, it folded her skin back so far. Um, and right away when it happened, she, cause she got hung up, it didn't, it didn't break anything, but she got hung up and it slipped out. And, and right away I saw the pot tuck up and I was like, great. What did I do? Here we go. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting sent home right now. And, uh, and, and my dog, my poor dog, I just hurt the shit out of her. Um, what am I going to do? So I looked at it and it looked, it, it didn't even bleed. It was crazy. It was like, it folded the skin back and just peeled it back. Um, like a really, like a degloved her or something. Or I I loved part of her paw, like the top side down to like the top of her oh, paw so i went wow. back after the, the the vet we we drove back there right away and um luckily i wasn't i wasn't uh, over at the embassy yet we were um we were uh fairly close only like a mile away um went back had them look at it they stitched up and within within a couple of weeks i think uh, i was on uh she was on limited duty for like a week and then we were back to work within a week and a half so it, it was uh, it was a rocky start to it but um, we were able to kind of clean things up and get back to work fairly quickly. Speaking of back to work, at this point, um, what odors were you guys training on? Because HME, it, well, I mean, it's always been a thing. I mean, that's what they used in Oklahoma City, the Murrah building and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it really, the where you were at in Afghanistan, um, we had somebody else on and they talked about, and we had um, Paul Hammond on too and talked about it too, you know, the, like in Iraq, it was all military grade explosives. Like it was all stuff from the Russians, the Chinese or whatever else. So it was stuff that we were conventionally using and where you guys are at now, it was all fucking farmers, like uh, I'm doing money. Right. A lot of, a lot of ammonium nitrate, uh, right. your, things like that, that were um, going to be formulated into a mass mass, uh, uh, either, uh, uh, either a suicide vest and suicide vests weren't really prevalent at the time. Um, you had more like V-bids weren't, weren't crazy either. They'd plant explosives and try to get you that way. Um, but it was mostly whatever, whatever happened in country, if there was something like a trend that was uh, unfolding, um, EOD would get up with us, us or we'd get up with EOD and say, hey, what, what can we use? What training age? Because they do collections. They do their, their lab collections um, right. to be sent back to wherever they're sending the stuff back to. Um, but they would get us samples and we would train on those samples. So whatever it was, and it could have been, I mean, it was dirty shit. It wasn't clean stuff at all. It wasn't military grade. Uh, yeah. Dirty stuff. No, and that's what I mean, because we had on uh, Josh and Travis Bobo, both Green yep. Berets, and they were in country at the same time. And Travis ended up finding some stuff that wasn't, that they had never seen before. 
Um, and then he kind of told a story about how they were using spray paint and waiting for it to dry. And then the dogs were all alerting on spray paint. He was like, so in theater, I'm having to fucking proof my dog yeah. of a spray paint because they're, you know, scraping the aluminum off of it to put it into fucking bombs. So, yep. um, I was, is there anything like that that happened? Like, I mean, you were dealing with the EOD guys all the time, but you, I, I guess, were you finding, were you guys actually having fines or using the dogs and having actual live fines at the time? Yep. So the problem that I think a lot of people ran into, and this wasn't just me in general, was um, ANFO. You had, you had ammonium nitrate and fuel oil. You, I mean, it, and they were using diesel fuel. So you can imagine the amount of diesel spills on the sides of, of the, the uh, most of the trucks in country um, and your dog's showing a change and maybe not giving you a full alert, but he's certainly giving you a, a pucker factor when you're sitting at a freaking, uh, you know, a giant water truck that could be fully packed with explosives and you're out there just you know searching away and you see this change and you're going geez what's going on well soon I, we had to do a lot of proofing off off uh, diesel fuel um to make sure the dogs weren't knew that that wasn't part of the target indicator we were looking for i can imagine because they're like you said it's not they're not clean they don't have great handling either like you know it's fucking all over the place shitheads aren't exactly like the most nope. <laughs> cleanest when they fucking making bombs oh, so while they're yeah. uh, while they're siphoning fuel out, dude, like just wild shit. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> things you don't you don't expect to see. And as a as a you know, at the time, I think I was a, a 21 year old kid, um, you know, going through this, and I'm like, where the where am I at right now? This place is wild. And the weird I, thing about Ampho <clears throat> is, that, so a lot of us in the uh, police world, probably some guys in the military world too, we get Ampho as a as an odor to train on. And we don't do it because it just fucking stinks and you don't want the dog oh, yeah. indicating on diesel trucks. So yeah. you just work on ammonium nitrate. Oh, if he knows ammonium nitrate, he'll do the info. But there's several uh, research companies that have done research that say that's not true. Right. If you yeah. only train on ammonium nitrate, your dog will walk it on info. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, we had we had trouble with the dogs that um, that were just trained on ammonium nitrate and never trained on info with the, the fuel mixed into it. Um, and they were they were not showing the same change of behavior that you would expect on ammonium nitrate. And that was one of the reasons I'm like, guys, we, you have to train this. We have to train this way. Otherwise, you're going to get dogs that start walking odor. And that's a huge deal. So uh, was there any time while you were there in Afghanistan deployed in there that you were like, thank goodness I had this dog? Yeah, I mean, we had I had uh, a lot of the stuff that would happen is when we would get into a surge pit um is uh you know and, and we're now we're out there doing the work is they would shut the, the vehicle like basically we were far enough away from the embassy that they would get the vehicle out of there they would just be like you, you can't you can't we'd get behind the walls um so you never you, you i didn't get a lot of confirmations but i got a lot of alerts in country um and it, it could have been testing it could have been um it could have been a number of things it could have been a vehicle that wanted to to create some damage but just couldn't get close enough to do it and they wanted to maybe save it for a, a different time and location so I, I don't, yeah, I definitely know my dog saved my life a few times. I just, you know, as far as like the confirmation of having, you know, the vehicle dismantled right there and EOD called is, was, was not something they wanted to, it was like, get, get out of here, go elsewhere, uh, get away from the building. So um, yeah, that was kind of the way it went a lot of times for that deployment, because it was very much like you're, you were more in a defensive posture um, for that deployment. So do you start on, in that deployment? Cause you know, Time is coming to an end pretty soon for you. You're not going to be in the Marines forever. Um, do you? Are you there then starting to get an interest in the training side of things while you're in country? 
Yeah, it definitely, it piqued my interest, but here's the thing. I was, so I was, a, a that was my first uh, uh, tour um, or a four-year enlistment. And I had every intention when I got back from Afghanistan to re-enlist. Um, and when I went to re-enlist, they said, sorry, you're, uh, the boat spaces for your MOS are full. Um, you're not going to be, a, if you come back, you're not going to be a dog handler. You're going to be a military police officer with a, yeah, basically a, what we call the straight leg MP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, wait a second. I, I just, I, I just had this deployment. Um, I, you know, I've, I've done all this for the Marine Corps. I've, I've, you know, I, I, I jumped when you, asked, when, basically I said how high when they said jump and I, and I did it. Um, and when that happened, um, I kind of got, I got a little upset. I got a little frustrated. I was like, yeah, all I want to do is keep working dogs and keep getting deployed. That's what I wanted to do. So when they said that I was going to be a straight leg MP, um, I decided at that point to exit the Marine Corps. That was my cue uh, that it was, it was time for me um, to, to move on and, and figure out what that entailed. And at the time, I didn't know if dogs were going to be part of it. Did I want it? Absolutely, I did. But I didn't know what my career choice was going to, what, what my career had in store for me at that point. So at some point, I wanted to make it back. It's amazing how, how dudes with pens can destroy things that you really like and they're really yeah. interested in doing, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. That, was, that was a turning point in my career where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. So as, a, you know, as, a, as a, a guy coming back from a deployment, and now you get, like, you get upwards of like six to eight months to transition out of the Marine Corps. You get a lot of planning to happen, right? So when I did it, I was a month away from uh, me exiting the Marine Corps. So here I am like, oh. I'm, I'm going, oh, my God, I'm getting out of the Marine Corps. What am I going to do? You know, I have this skill set as a dog handler. I have all these deployments, but what job am I going to get, right? Well, what was ramping up at that time, uh, little did I know, um, was the contracting side of, of dogs and what that would entail for me, which was a complete game changer um, in training, in working dogs, in learning. Um, from some some really cool individuals um, that that kind of helped shape my career a little bit, um, and then turned me into what I, what I have now. I mean, with, without those individuals and without that that experience, that that knowledge um, in that country uh, in Iraq, I wouldn't be what I am today. So, so where you, did you land? Where, who yeah. was your first? How how did, how did that go? How did you find out about that when you were getting out? Did they recruit from the Marine Corps? How did that work? So I got recruited um, in, so you figure I, I exited the Marine Corps in 2003. I picked up, I did some side work as a, uh, and, and this is a little known fact about me. Not, not a lot of people know this, but I was a, uh, I was a loss prevention agent for, uh, for Nordstrom. Um, so <laughs> I almost did that for a while too. Yeah, dude. but, but I'm telling you, it, 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 it subdued my, my adrenaline rush that I needed. Um, coming back from, you know, the time that I spent in the Marine Corps on a, on a right at just an extreme level of, of doing things and then going, well, what am I going to do now? Okay. I guess I'll go bust, bust shoplifters and, you know, get in fights and, and, uh, haul, haul people back into the office. And, and I did, and I had a lot of, uh, a lot of really good, um, I say good, but it was a lot of, uh, high intensity stuff that I was able to do. So that fed my fuel for a little while. And then at some point I was like, man, I, I got, I got to do something here. And just about the time that I, because I had all these applications into federal agencies, right? Because that was the direction I thought. I think I went with ICE. I went with uh, Federal Protective Services, and the process was very long at the time. I didn't, I didn't know um, that it would take a year to go through all this, right? So here I am, like really trying to make sure that that I'm I'm focusing my career on something specific. I'm still getting back my four years in the Marine Corps at some point, um, but still doing something I want to do at the same time. Um, so just about the time I, I started getting a little, uh, 
little, uh, you know, put off by doing the work I was doing. Um, I got a phone call from uh, a recruiter from Blackwater um, and they said, uh, you know, your name was given to us uh, and, and it was, you were referred to us a direct referral. Um, we think you'd be perfect for a position in, in Iraq. Um, if you would like to do um, any diplomatic security, any, any uh, federal, any protection work in Iraq, um, you know, just let us know and we'll get you, we'll get you a plane ticket to Moyoc, North Carolina, and we'll get you lined up with, uh, with, uh, with the training you need, um, the search you need, the qualification you need, and we'll get you put in country ASAP. So Nordstrom is um, gladiator school. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? I, I didn't even know. <laughs> Set me up for and it wasn't so it wasn't the high-end Nordstrom right it was the Nordstrom rack which is like you know nice. make a little bit lower so you get you got a little bit more riprap that came through there which was nice that's fucking great I love yeah. it yep. <laughs> Eric, this is where Eric inserts stories about finding people at Walmart um <laughs> so <laughs> so um you pick up go to Blackwater uh, I mean, that's a pretty, and that was at the time when the contracting was fucking hot and heavy and it was wild. like, it was, it was, <laughs> it was wild. There was a lot of shit going on. Uh, so where did they send you? Like straight back to where you just came from? Well, no, cause I, uh, I went back to, I went to Iraq this time. So I didn't have, well, well I was asked to do, I didn't, I didn't uh, make any trips into Iraq. It was all Afghanistan, Saudi. Um, so back to the sandbox basically, but what, what, uh, what what transpired leading up to that was you know the the whole thing you, you know you, you get your you get your contract with uh you know your your contract that is you know you're looking at a significant amount of money comparatively to what you're making marine corps um and then and then on top of you know even making what i made at at nordstrom rack was uh it was significant and that was i, I don't say the main poll because you still have it you had a really good when i first went there it was really some of the best of the best, man. You had a lot of special operations guys that were in there um, from all walks of life, all branches of, of the military that were in there doing the work. And, and it, it got watered down towards the later years of contracting, but initially going in there, man, it was, these guys were, these guys were beasts, man, that they were true operators. Um, and, and a lot of the dog guys were, um, cause you figure, so you look at me, I, I was a military working dog handler. I had the, that three years of solid experience after 9-11, um, but most of the handlers over there, so you had all these, these really elite uh, special operations operators, and then you had cop dogs that were in there, and don't get me wrong, a lot of great cop dog handlers out there, but these guys were the ones that were facilitating the, the dog side of, of the, the security, uh, because that's all that these guys had, sometimes 20 years of experience. And, and Blackwater's going, well, we, we want guys with experience, not just, you know, a year of handling experience. We want guys with, with 15 years of experience. Um, so that was we, what we saw was kind of the blended worlds of mil, the, the initial blend of military working dog handlers in with the 20 years of prior service, 15 to 20 years prior service cop dog handlers. And they're blended together in, in a security role now for, uh, for Blackwater, which was crazy. Yeah, they said that I have a friend that did that. Um, he came out of a specialized unit and, you know, he was like that those first three or four years were kind of like he, he was like, those are the golden years. Yep. And he wasn't a dog. Your bank account. He, well, and not that but he said, but he goes, you know how there's that myth in Vegas where you can get the uh, like the $10 steak and all this shit in the buffets and whatever else. And I'm like, yeah, he was like, I don't know if you've been to Vegas like at all. And any year that started with a two. 
he was like, but that shit does not happen anymore. It's $10 every 10 feet there. And he was like, so those first three or four years, I mean, that's, he's exactly right. I mean, this guy was in one of those units. He wasn't a dog handler, but he did a lot of that shit. And they, I mean, they plucked him straight out and he was like, Hey, they were like, Hey, this is what you want to do. And he basically was like, basically I went back and was working for another government agency, but I was doing the same thing I was doing, except I was wearing khakis and t-shirts. <laughs> right and that was it he was like that was it he was like for three or four years and then people started getting shot and shit started happening and then people started getting in trouble and then all of a sudden and now like even now i saw somebody talking about they had a contract the other day i'm like no you don't i mean if you do it's not like the shit that they were doing then like no, that's not no. it'll never be that way um no. it that way again it was it honestly man it was probably like i called it the wild wild west it was just anything goes anything went at that time and then you're right a lot of people started getting in trouble doing stupid things and um, it really started putting a spotlight on the contracting world in a negative way um, because it, it missed out on a lot of the positive work we were doing, you know, especially when, when Blackwater lost that contract, all the positive work we were doing over there um, was kind of shadowed by that one incident, that, that major incident mm -hmm. uh, right. and, and it just kind of crumbled. Yeah. So we're headed towards the direction here of, of one of the jobs you currently do, but at that point, what is Marine Special Operations? Because I know it's made several iterations. Is it at that point when you're on Blackwater over on the Marine Corps side, is it broken up? Is it what's it called at that point? Um, and what are guys doing? Yep. So at that point, what you had, you had uh, Marine Corps Special Operations. Um, they, they did not have a canine program. What they did is they, um, they attached military working dog handlers. And at that time, when they did their attachments, these military working dog handlers were some of the best of the best that were um, really good at what they did with, with numerous combat deployments, some of them, um, and a lot of, of knowledge under their belts when they got attached to these MARSOC units. Um, you know, and, and then what happened was uh, the, uh, the, the Marine Corps Special Operations Unit decided that they wanted to fund their own canine program. So that was an internal choice with them to say, okay, um, you know, and, and they, the way they designed it was uh, unique. It was, in my opinion, one of the better ways, um, one of the better ways that, uh, that, that it could have gone down. Um, they structured it in a way that the, the, the handlers were not operators, okay, that the handlers were not designated to be operators. They wanted um, a, what, what they're coined and called um, within the unit is an enabler, right? And it, it seems like a really um, uh, kind of a demeaning term, right? You're, in a, you're only an enabler. You're only an enabler. Well, you're an enabler. You you facilitate the work. You facilitate security. Um, you know you have comm guys that are they're they're considered enablers. Um, intel collectors that are considered enablers. So um, with that, you, you had kind of what what it was able to do, and and where a lot of units go wrong is if you pull from directly from the pool of operators, right? And and I use that term loosely as as operators. Um, if you pull directly from your source source of operators, what happens is. Um, with some of the other units out there, you get a very degraded, um, uh, you know, a, a, a degraded, it's, it's a degraded quality of product, right? Because maybe that guy only has six months workup on that dog, and then he gets a year deployment, he comes back, he drops that leash off, and he goes back to his, his, his team, never to touch a dog again, right? You have knowledge lost, you have the dog that is maybe confused going into country, um, you have a lot of things that, that can go wrong in that picture. Um, the way MARSOC designed the program was they pulled from the pool of MPs brought into the, the unit. Um, 
then went to another training, right? A basic handler course, even if they were dog handlers, they still had to go to a special operation basic handler course. Um, and what happened during that time was that was a, that was an eight week course that they went to. Um, and on the back end, then we would do a two week. And, and I, I feel bad for even saying this because it wasn't an advanced course, but a two week advanced course, right? An advanced course that gave you the skill sets that would get you ready for a deployment. Now, some of those guys had no combat experience, no knowledge at all. So other guys came in with a little bit. Um, and it was just too broad of a spectrum of guys to be operating with some of the units and some of the places that they were going to be going. So um, we saw kind of a, um, an issue that need to be, needed to be addressed. Um, so what we did is we took it upon ourselves, uh, my, myself and uh, one of the other really great trainers. I don't know if I, I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, he is out of the unit now, um, but just a great awesome guy, very invested in the program. Uh, him and I decided that we needed to, to turn that two weeks into more like an eight week um, advanced course. And in that eight weeks, these guys are, are submerged in, in some of the most intense training that a handler can be put through. Um, and, and it really prepares them for any deployment that they had um, downrange anywhere they went. So before you get into that, we jumped ahead a little bit. Did you have when did you start doing uh, contracting work that revolved around dogs? Okay, so uh, in, in 2000, 2005 is when I, when I made the trip out to Moyoc, North Carolina to go through. Um, and, and at that point, they called the vetting course, right? The, um, the WHIPS vetting course. Um, and you had to get vetted as a dog handler. And then you had to get vetted as a personal protection specialist, right? Um, each, each had their own billet. Um, and if you did both, then you were a dog handler. Typically, you were a dog handler first, and then you were a, a protection specialist second. Um, and few guys had both, called dual hat, but um, both the the dog side and the uh, the protection specialist side. I was one of those guys lucky enough to do that, so I was able to get put on um, various teams that were maybe a little more um, active than than other units because I I could serve two roles, um, so I was a little bit more. Um, useful to the to the elements that were going out into uh some of the venues in baghdad um i was first stationed in kirkuk um was my first duty station um with blackwater and that was that was early late 2005 so um at some point you do you get into the training side of the contracting leading up to uh working at the place i worked at uh before i was there where how did we yeah. get there Yep. So, so when I, so making the transition into the, the contracting world, um, you know, I, I really focused on my, my, um, my trainer abilities and I had some good mentors there in Kirkuk that were able to guide me the right way, point me to some good material, point me to some good courses. So when I went on leave, I would go to these courses and I would really build up my knowledge as a trainer. Um, and then soon when I got, when I got, uh, they pulled everything out of Kirkuk and moved it down to Baghdad in 2006 is when, um, I basically got put into more of a training role, um, setting up training for the guys, making sure the dogs were certified the way they needed to be. Um, and that role never left for the entirety of my time, um, all the way into about 2011 timeframe, um, is, is that training role for me stuck. I was able to go back, um, work some dogs with Cobra. I was able to, uh, 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 do a trainer's course with Cobra, um, uh, work some, some of their green dogs on odor. Um, and, and really kind of build up my skills as a trainer um, and focus towards that career um, as I saw it going at that point. And then at that point, 
Ryan, they get the West Coast. They had the East Coast contract, Cobra did. And um, then you, they get the West Coast. Do you end up going back, back out to San Diego and work that for a little bit? Yeah. So when I, when I left, um, you know, I made the transition in 2009, I made the transition from Blackwater to the triple canopy when Blackwater lost that contract. That was like a shirt change, right? Um, you throw in a different polo and you go back and you do the same work you were doing. That's what I did. Um, I actually separated from the dog side because they were a um, little weird hitch in my, uh, in my career was the state department was getting really, um, really driven by a product called nest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was something that they wanted as on, the only training aids that we would use in country were Nest. And I come from a background, I'm like, no, I, I, need, I need aids that are from my country, from this country that I'm in, that I can make sure, because it was a lot of Iranian-made products um, that we were finding. And I needed to make sure that my dogs were you know, going to indicate on, on these explosives that are being find, found in country, not, not Nest. And I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have any, anything against it other than I just, I didn't know the product well, and they're trying to make me go back and imprint all these dogs on nest because they were all walking away from the odor. Not, not one, not not one of my dogs showed a change of behavior on nest odor when I was there. And it was, it was frustrating. So the state department mandated that we um, do away with all of our training aids. And I had two big bunkers full of training aids that were found in country that were, you know, that were very useful to my training program. And they said, no, we're going to, we're going to do away with that. You're going to do the nest and you're going to like it. And I said, well, I, I wrote a big letter. Um, to, to uh, the State Department, to the, the RSO uh, office there. And, uh, and I, I didn't agree with it. And they said, you know, if you don't like it, then you can, you can push on to a different team. So I decided to make that transition and go to a low pro team uh, for about a year in country where I just, I was a, a low pro operator working, uh, you know, in, yeah, I was funny because we'd get these brand new um, seven series BMWs in country that were fully armored BMWs. And you take them and you rub sandpaper down the side of them, right? Just blast them out. You put some dice in the windshield um, and you tint the windows. How, satis- how satisfying was that? <laughs> oh, it, was, it was satisfying. It hurt a little at first, but I'm like, you know what? This is, this is pretty awesome, man. It's not and my it was, car. Fuck these guys. Yeah. yeah. I just <laughs> wanted like sand blasted, dude. And that's what we do. Just run sandpaper down it. Um, and you really made it look like it blended in. And even then you can't make a seven series BMW blend into Iraq. You just can't do it. it it's, it's hard, but we would try. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. My wife has a four series right now and I'm, Hey honey, I'm going to get some sandpaper. Yeah. We're going to make it look like a shit bullet. box. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I get yeah. a bullet in the back. Part interesting part of my career uh, at that point. Um, and then I decided to head back and that's when um, it was uh, an opportunity to present itself that I would go with um, NSW and, and take that, that transition and be in a, in a primary instructor role um, with uh as a contractor still, which was difficult. Um, but I, I knew that that was the next uh, phase in my career that I needed to do um, to better myself, better my knowledge as an instructor. So when I showed up there and it was October of 13, you were already gone. How long had you been gone by that point? October of 2013. So I, man, you missed me by a month. Wow. You missed me by a month because I, I was, uh, September is when I left I left down there and, and, uh, jumped right into, uh, jumped right into, yeah, it would have been, it would have been October. So October one, I think was my start date. Yeah. Yeah. 21st. I'm, I rolled into town Yep. Uh, into San Diego. So yep. we're going to go ahead and take a break. We get back, we'll get into that phase of your life where we're still at. And, um, 
and uh, kind of the pet side of stuff real quick and uh, what, what, what you got going on for the future. So everybody stick around. Don't fast forward through the commercials if you did, because I know you did. At the bottom of the commercials in the show notes is all the discount codes. Ted and I do not have them memorized, so don't ask us. Go back through the episodes because people message me sure. and Ted. Hey, what's the discount code for so-and-so? We go on to our thing <laughs> and to look fucking, at the show notes. I go on I to fucking know. iTunes. <laughs> I can barely I remember my, my ATM pin card number. So Exactly. You know. So anyways, we'll be right back. All right, guys, this episode has been brought to you by great sponsors of ours. Please don't skip through this. Take a listen to them. One of our oldest sponsors and great friends of ours are the people down at Highland Canine down in North Carolina. Um, I really like them. We have, we see them at all the conferences. I know a lot of people have been to their school for dog trainers. They've been on the podcast Highland Canine. They're a full service canine and pet dog training business where they can train you to be a trainer. They can get you a dog. They have handler classes. They have supervisor classes. They have trainers courses for just LE. They have them for anybody who wants to be in, uh, in the dog business, be a dog trainer of any kind. Um, Check them out. Their website is tacticalpolicek9training.com, tacticalpolicek9training.com. If you are smart, you'll go down there in the winter. It is North Carolina. It is warm. You get to work dogs. It's no, no joke school, guys. You're not going down there for a month um, and, and rushing through it. They're actually trying to make you real deal dog trainers. Uh, tacticalpolicek9training.com. Next is a sponsor that's been with us for quite a while, uh, Dogtra. I love Dogtra stuff, and they continually keep bringing out new products. Uh, one of the things that I've been using a lot lately is the new Tone Box. If you're a pet trainer or if you train a lot of police officers, and I harp at my guys all the time about timing, and this thing literally kind of pairs to the, to the remote, and when you're using the remote, whether you're using Nick Constant or Vibrate, it makes a noise. So you can get the timing down 100% consistent. And so I can demonstrate how to do an out with an e-caller immediately, quickly. And it is so effective that I can't believe that it took me forever to figure it out <laughs> that, mm-hmm. to get that. They've also got these new um, comfort feather, like titanium things that go on the collars that uh, are fantastic for making sure we got contact. It actually has six points and this comes in two sizes and it's a titanium feather thing. They're awesome. They got comfort, comfort contact points for the bark collars, the YS 600. One of my favorite things. I have about 50 of them at the kennel and it is dead silent. And I put them on all the pet dogs and I can leave them on because they have the comfort contact points and they're fantastic. All this stuff you can get at dogtrue.com. And if you use the discount code WDR one zero you get 10 percent off a single item over 200 bucks so that covers the ball trainer that covers the 1900 ass hands free which is my personal favorite for all the big dogs uh it covers the two dog system uh the 202c which i use for the two dog pet guys and fantastic so dogtra.com or go to at dogtra official on all the socials that's facebook instagram all those places so hit them up dogtra.com guys i don't even shop any other sites when i'm looking for everything for dogs our one-stop shop for anything pet dog training and police dog training hunt dog training anything you need you can find at rayallen.com they have been doing it forever we have a great relationship with them Um, again they're at all the conferences you can stop up and talk to them they have more stuff there than any place rayallen.com they are amazing we have a great a really, really good relationship with those guys. Um, like I said, I get on their website. I do not look anywhere else. I just get on Ray Allen. Why, why should I fill up my cart, pay it, boom, shipping. Here we go. 
Uh, everything's coming. RayAllen.com. And guess what? We do have a discount code for them. Working Dog Radio for 10% off. It's all one Working Dog Radio, and it's all caps. Check them out. RayAllen.com. I'm not too shaped to admit that I used our own discount code to buy stuff for the kennel. We have American Aluminum next. They're a new sponsor for uh, moving forward. Um, they have been around for quite a while. They manufacture a wide variety of products from the high quality cam lockers and toolboxes to a huge line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law enforcement community. Back in 1992, due to the demand for safe, secure transport for a nearby law enforcement department's canine, they introduced the very first Easy Rider canine. They have continuously grown and expanded products, catering to the needs and wants of the valued customers and high-profile clientele. Over the years, as the needs have changed, they have evolved and expanded their products to include inmate transport systems, canine training aids, canine inserts, contraband, containment, and animal control systems, just to name a couple of things. So you can find them at easyrideronline.com. That is easy echo zulu rider online.com. You can find them on the socials at American Aluminum Accessories, and then you can hit them up toll free. 1-800-277-0869. You don't have to worry about writing all that down. We're going to put it in the show notes. So just scroll down to the bottom, write it down, click the link, take you straight there out into your phone. Our first sponsor we ever had, he's been, he's our ride or die. He's been with us since the beginning is Arno over at ALM Canine Equipment. His stuff is so good. Ted, you know, gets suits. He, and listen, Ted's suit, he's had it for a long time. Arno's fixed it. He's uh, taken a million bites on it. It still holds up. The thing's amazing. I've got a suit from him. I love it. Use it all the time. Uh, but the main thing that I really love about Arno is his hidden sleeves are ridiculously amazing. They are the best. And his tugs. I usually buy tugs from Arno by the box load. He'll send me a whole bunch of them. I hand them out to the handlers, new handlers when they come in, experienced handlers. Uh, they last for a long time. They're amazing. The craft work is is great. Arno's doing all the, the sewing there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom-made suits, everything you need um, out there. And he's out there in sunny Las Vegas. Get on his website, check him out, almk9equipment.com, almk9equipment.com. Discount code WDRADIO, all caps, 10% off your first order. Check him out. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Another great episode with our friend Dustin Wynn. Um, so we left off, he was, uh, out at NSW back in San Diego, um, nicer environment than Iraq and Tennessee, probably some parts of it and North yep. Carolina, different places. So, yep. um, you're, you're at NSW and you're, you end up moving up the road in, in San Diego County up to, uh, the Marsoc part. How did that come about? Yeah. So, um, well, it was, uh, that same individual that I had, I, one of the individuals I had, um, been kind of mentored with, um, with Blackwater, um, made the move to Marsoc, uh, maybe, a, a year before I did, uh, maybe a little less. Um, and here I am. And he, this guy was a mountain of a man. He was huge, just a big guy. And, uh, I remember taking our dogs up from, uh, from Coronado up to the vet on Pendleton. Um, and I'm sure you've been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, what happened was we, we w walked in for some routine vet stuff. And as I walked around the corner, there was a giant guy standing in the corner and it just happened to be him. And I didn't know where he had, he had left after the, after that moment. Um, so when I turned and saw who it was, I, I shot the shit with him for a while. And, um, 
he uh, he explained that Marsoc was going to be opening a West Coast Kennels. Um, at the moment, they just had a, a deployment set up um, that would eventually be transitioned into a multi-million dollar training facility um, that would house uh, a number of dogs, up to 12 dogs is what, what he had said. Um, and uh, he goes, hey, if, if you're looking for a, for a spot, this could be a, a nice spot for you to be. Um, and now, uh, oh, and oh, by the way, it's not a contractor spot. You're going to be a federal employee. Um, so that was obviously that was a huge appeal to me because it was um, a way to kind of get back some of my, my active duty time um, and plus have a little bit more responsibility for a program. Because when you're a contractor for that kind of program, you're more of a, hey, you guys should do this, right? You're, you're yeah. more in like a like, hey, I suggest you do it this way. Um, you know, when you're in a federal position, you hold a little bit more weight and you're able to kind of guide a program um, the way you the, the way that you should be able to as an instructor, as a trainer, um, with the knowledge and the background that you have to guide a program in the right direction. Um, when that when that doesn't happen, things uh, can can fall apart or um, become a little stagnant at times. And that, that's what we've seen or I've seen with the programs I've been involved with. Um, so when I did that, I applied for it. I went through the same same. Uh, um, hiring process as everybody else did. I had to do my USA jobs application and um, await the interview. And I interviewed for it. And I, I, uh, I ended up getting the position in 2013. And I've been there. I've been there since. So it's been a, it's been a, 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 a it was a wild ride up to that point, right? Getting to, to now being back in, in federal service with the, the, the government. Um, and then being in charge of fully in charge of a, of a West Coast kennel. Uh, for the training side, instructor training. So my role and responsibility was training the handlers, training the dogs to work with the handlers, integrating that team together, and then putting that team into a special operations team, um, which would then be able to um, operate that dog, right? Um, and the whole thing was uh, this dog, everybody on that team should be able to operate that dog, not just not just the handler, but everybody that's on that team should know um, the ins and outs of that dogs, the full capability, everything they need to know. Um, and if they need to, operate the dog when it comes time so really a unique spot yeah the moving from the g to the gs position from a contract position especially man if you're trying to make a home there yeah and and not live in an apartment with three other dudes like yep. i was uh hoping hoping that you that the contract got renewed you know going forward that's even if it's less money even it has to be yeah more of a like just such a comforting feeling there. Oh, for sure. The stability alone of having that federal position, knowing it's not, um, well, I mean, I say it's not going to go anywhere. The, the likelihood of, of that position going somewhere is significantly less than the contractor realm where you're always living, you're living on pins and needles. Um, and when you're supporting a family or you're trying to take care of, of, of business and um, like you said, make a home or, or, you know, not rent an apartment, um, that can be a very um, nerve wracking thing when, uh, when, you just don't know your next move. You have no idea. And that's a contract. So in 2005, when I went in the contracting world to the point where I was leaving the contract world in, uh, in 2013, I lived in those pins and needles for all that time. Right. Cause you just didn't know when the contract was going to end or be renewed. If it was going to be renewed, if they did away with the program altogether, you just didn't know. So that was a huge weight off my shoulders. Um, when it came time for um, that transition to, to GS position, um, and, and being able to, to be in an in instructor role. So I know you, I'm sure you love your guys, love all the people involved in the program. Everybody you've dealt with in the Marine Corps, they start off bare bones, concrete slab. So we're going to build this multi-million dollar facility that can house X number of dogs. How long did that actually take? 
So when I got there um, in 2013, they, 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 the kennels were set up on cement slabs with deployment kennels, right? And these were kennels that were, um, you know, from deployments overseas, brought back and set up. And um, not that the dogs weren't used to it, but it just wasn't fitting for a special operations unit, right? Um, so when they went through and they started saying, hey, this is the, the building design, um, I was actually able to have a, a somewhat of a say in the way I designed um, not the building, so to speak, because that was very much from an engineering standpoint, what they needed to have. But when it came time for the obstacle course or the confidence course, I had a direct hand in every bit of what I wanted for that obstacle course. And to this day, that's one of the, I mean, in any unit you go to, if they've been to our, our facility or now our East coast facility that has the same confidence course, um, it's, it's intense, dude. It's, it's wild. I have a, a 15 foot rappel tower, um, a fast rope tower in the middle of my obstacle course that I can use at any time to get to suspend a dog, get a dog used to heights, rappels, fast ropes, you name it. I can do all the groundwork right there. So, you know, it went from a very bare bones uh, facility um, to then expanding into a multi-million dollar building, um, you know, kennel runs, uh, some of the nicest kennel runs around. Um, and then you, push into the obstacle course that was, uh, in my opinion, there wasn't an obstacle course at the time in a military unit that, that, um, that equaled it. Um, it was very, very intense and, and a fun obstacle course to, to kind of design. So speaking of which, um, there is a video that has gone viral. So, you know, at this time you're running and you've been there since 2013, um, yep. you've designed the, the obstacle course and then they put it out at the East side too. <clears throat> and, um, was that a pretty instrumental role? Did that play an instrumental role in the success of the deployments with the guys and the dog, the teams and the dogs uh, on the environmental side and the exposure um, moving like downrange? It did because what it did is it, it boosted confidence. Uh, you know, some of the obstacles, obviously, uh, you know, um, lowerings and, and climbing and stuff like that. I mean, did the guys ever have to really go into those kind of, uh, tactical movements? Um, maybe not, but what it did is it, 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 it uh, it instilled some confidence in the dog that it can, it can navigate those obstacles, right? So you're boosting confidence in the dog. Then the handler's confidence goes through the roof because it sees the dog doing the obstacles. You're doing a bunch of environmental exposure, which in my opinion, is some of the most critical stuff you can do to a dog that's going to be um, in some really intense situations. Um, you try to replicate those the best you can, but it's inevitable. There's going to be things that pop up that you're like, whoa, didn't see that coming. You know, I wish I could have saw that. I might have trained for it, but that's wild. I, I never would have trained that. So trying to think outside the box on some of the things that we did um, was extremely important, um, you know, and designing it and then setting the guys up for success, um, you know, really giving the guys kind of free run and doing it like balance beams that are very tight, the handler getting up. So in my opinion, if a dog is going to do the obstacle, the, the handler better, better be able to complete the obstacle as well. Um, and that's always been my mentality and will be my mentality going forward is, is if you're operating a dog, a working dog, and it's your partner, you complete what that dog does with you always. It's a team. So when I was out there after you, uh, the, the Navy itself had a moratorium on any helo, um, fast roping or anything operations because there was a I think there was a patent lawsuit about a piece of equipment uh, in the stop descender as a, what I believe so my time uh, uh, working for Cobra on the west coast we did zero helicopter ops at all mm -hmm. didn't mess with it at all um, and I was super disappointed in that I really wanted to get into that um, I yep. had never done it on the civilian side so it would have been a learning curve for me as well and then I would have been able to facilitate that type of thing. sure 
going forward to do it. But for you guys, um, there's a bunch of videos that have come out. So we talked to uh, Travis Bobo uh, in the last two episodes. And I asked him, I said about um, teaching like rappelling or anything off of a tower or anything like that. And he felt his entire time, he never saw a dog actually really like it, never get comfortable with it. They would just make them do it. And the way they were doing things, uh, it never, no dog actually ever liked it, even though they knew yeah. that at the end there was some, if they did A plus B equals C, they knew at the end there was something there. But you guys have done something completely different. Can you talk about that? So, you know, I, I guess it kind of goes back to that crawl, run, or that, that, uh, that uh, crawl, walk, run, uh, sprint mentality. Um, we start very basic. Like, like I said, it's, it's confidence building in the dog, right? So if I'm able to suspend a dog, pull it up off the ground, and don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of dogs that really hated being off the deck, suspended by their harness. Um, but we did a lot of desensitizing that, a lot of positive reinforcement, the best we could, um, you know, depending on how long the guy had before a deployment. Um, and not all dogs fully liked it but what so here's here you go two ways with this you do a bunch of training and you really uh dial in the dog's ability to to you know go through the motions with you and not give a shit one in the world but then you have the other dogs that are very much they don't like it they flail around they they really become um for all intents and purposes become assholes when you when you get them in in certain situations um but does that dog work when it comes off that position, right? Does it have the environmental stability to then go to work immediately coming into it, right? Is it too shocked to even deal with it or does it go right to work? Um, you know, with, with the guys that are the dogs that we had more time to focus on um, and what we saw was just a, a more well-rounded, I mean, the dogs that I had, um, the, the dogs that, that I trained um, and I spent a lot of time with making sure they were desensitized to a number of things. A lot of times it was heights. It was, it was getting dogs um, on fast ropes and rappels, um, jumping out of the, 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 the helicopter with a helo cast, um, a bunch of the things that would be really dicey for a lot of dogs and, and most dogs would not be okay with it. Every one of my dogs that I had that were, that I was in charge of before they were passed off to another handler did not mind it at all. It was, it was something, as soon as I picked my dog up, she slumped into the, to the harness and just waited for me to take the step out of the helicopter, or she waited for me to take her and set her out of the helicopter while I maintained control of that fast rope. And then, uh, I, I set the fast rope up the descender a lot different than most. I, I, I do, um, the, in, the guts of 550 cord, I tie off to the fries bar to my descender that way, when I wait the rope, I'm not having to, I'm sure you've seen it where you have to do the full, the, the, mm -hmm. the pull tab to release it as a safety. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't like that, that, that left too much room for error. Um, I've had to kick release too many, uh, fast rope devices off ropes because the, uh, the gate or the, the, yeah, the, the hook gets stuck in the gate of the fast rope descender. Um, and then I have a guy hanging up there, um, on a fast rope descender that's still connected to the fries bar. They can't go anywhere that has a dog hanging next to him. Um, and it's a real shitty situation for any, any handler to be in. So I've had to rear back, grab the fast rope, uh, the fries bar, kick that descender so it sends the gate loose so that that descender can go down the rope. Um, so what I came up with was, first of all, and this was in conjunction with Justin Melnick, um, was widening that that uh, that safety hole where you hook the safety in, widening that so you didn't have the issues with the gate getting that uh, that uh, um, that gate getting stuck inside there, which created a lot of hangups. Probably in my in my career, I probably dealt with probably ten. 10 or, or, or 12 uh, good hangups on a fast rope, um, a couple of which I had to cut loose, um, which is never a, a good thing, but that's, uh, that's what we had to do. Um, 
others, you know, I mean, it just, it really just depended on, uh, you know, what the, what the dog would, would show us. I mean, we were really careful about integrating dogs into that. And because we had the fast rope tower on our, in our obstacle course, I mean, I could do 15 foot slides all day long with a dog and desensitize them that way. when they got in the helicopter, I mean, yeah, you're dealing with rotor wash now, but we would do a lot of desensitizing to the helos as well before we got in and did any fast rope work. How did you widen those holes? Is that a Dremel tool or that was a, that was a company yeah. to build you one? The, no, the company now, um, I believe, makes some make some larger. I boarded out myself. I just took and, and boarded out because um, I knew that it was a, a, a concern. Um, but, you know, w- with that, I mean, you're, you're going through R&D as well. Some of this equipment, um, you're still dealing with a, a, some R&D out there um, where you need to help the company learn a little bit about what they're doing with their product. Right. Because we're on the we're on the front line use of, of the product um, and they need to take some some guidance from us as well. Yeah, some of these companies, Petzl and some of these other ones have been doing it forever, yeah. forever. And still, you know, I'm sure, former, Ted, when you were doing the mountain stuff. Yeah, in a former life, I, I worked for them and for Black Diamond. And when the, the first generation Gregory, like I remember that thing, which is basically the the device that you guys are using, but it's this fucking bit. Well, it's yeah, some of, exactly. Yeah, it'd so, smash your head if it fell on you. Well, yeah, the one that we used was like, I mean, you can't you listen to you can't i mean it was not it wasn't huge but i mean then there's several versions of those things but it's basically just a, a friction it's a it's friction device yeah and so but they were super fucking touchy the first generation Gregory's <laughs> like, you fucking touch those things and i mean you were dropping if you if you were on a static line you were definitely going to know you were on a fucking static line when you let go of, when you let go of the lever believe me yeah I've been there, yeah, done I, that. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used uh, that device as well on, on uh, some dog inserts. Um, just, I mean, just trying to figure out what works best. And for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, a rescue eight was, was one of the easiest devices to use. And it was, it, it was, it never failed me. Right. So we did a lot of uh, rescue eight descends and, and out of helicopters and things, things like that. Cause I can easily control the rate of speed with a dog. Right. Um, so one of the other things that you, um, there's a lot of, yeah, Eric's doing it right now. Mm-hmm. So the helo casting stuff, right? Like getting the dog out of the water. Um, uh, there's the old joke about getting a cat into a bathtub, but, um, so everybody, like all the videos I see, like one, you guys are on like Olympic diving board, like things. Right. And then there's yeah. a bench helicopter. And so like there, and if you can't see me, like I'm Go sitting on YouTube, the- damn it. Yeah, go to YouTube. But you yeah, I mean, if you're watching YouTube, but you're basically sitting on the edge of the helicopter and you're holding this Malinois out in front of you and you just kind of like yep. fucking butt scoot and just pitch his ass off as you go off at the same time. So how did that whole process come up? Like, I mean. So we again, we went through some trial error on that too, right? Because the dog ha- the dogs have their harness, they have their, their, their vest they're wearing and it has a top handle and a back ass handle. Um, and what we were doing first is we were walking up and taking that dog um, grabbing. So right hand would be top of the, the harness, um, left hand would be back of the harness. And what you do is you would take the dog as you're stepping out, you would swing the dog in front of you, causing momentum to step you out of the aircraft. And then you would fall, you, you know, you'd fall the 10 or 15, 20 feet, whatever it is, um, into the water. Well, there's what wasn't accounted for is rotor wash and how slippery that shit is when you're, when you're talking about getting close to the water, right? So you had these guys getting up there and they're trying to pull, you know, this, this 70, 80 pound Malinois up and swing them as they're stepping out of the aircraft. Um, and it, it created a, a huge, I mean, I saw so many handlers bust their ass, um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to step and, and slip and, and fall back. And um, so it just became a little bit more of a consideration when we started developing some other 
TTPs in the way of, of inserting using the, uh, the shoulder holes now of the harness. Um, and we do, all, there's a whole phase in process to that as well, right? Because I'm never going to take a dog, grab it by the shoulder holes and step out of an aircraft into the water. I'm just never going to do that. Um, and if you did, then it would have to be something you needed to do very hastily. And it, you know, it, it, it would be a requirement at that point. But from a training standpoint, it just wouldn't make any sense because you're not setting the dog up for success at all or the handler for that matter. Yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah, I can imagine. Cause watching it, I'm like, I wonder what the story is because it was a very, cause every video I've ever seen is exactly like everybody's following a procedure. And I'm like, it's not real intuitive because we call those handles midget toss handles. All my SWAT guys, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. The, the, it's like the SWAT operator. That's what I tell the guys that are not dog handlers. I'm like, it's a yep. fucking midget toss handle. And they're like, yep. oh, and immediately they know why I call it that. Right. And I'm like, because yep. it's up. Right. So, because up. And so watching you do that, I'm like, I wonder what the story is behind that. Now I know motherfuckers falling down. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, and even with a dog, even with the, I don't care if the dog's 45, 75, whatever. I mean, you know, and, and size does size is, is uh, you know, it's very relevant when you're talking about, um, you know, a 60, right. So you're talking about a 60 that you have to pretty much duck walk the dog and you're dragging these, this dog, you know, you're kind of waddling up to the side of the aircraft because you can't sit down on the side because if you sit down, sit down and you push that dog away from you, well, then you're going to go right out of the aircraft and land on top of the dog. So there's, there's a lot of different methods to each different platform out there, air insert platform that we have. Um, the Huey's easy because you kind of, you kind of, uh, scoot your ass up to the side, you slide your dog up, you roll your dog onto your chest, you step onto the skid and then you step out. Um, of the aircraft punching that dog out in front of you and then you fall down to the ground that way yeah so everybody listening, that, that's kind of, this, everybody listening to this has swung a big ass kettlebell they know what i'm they know what you're that's, talking that's about. exactly that's exactly what it is. one that <laughs> bites back and might be pushing the other way and wiggling right. and having right. an off day and everything yeah so most <laughs> of the videos that i've seen <laughs> that we attribute to you and and your guys out there I, it sounds kind of like that huey type where we always see him uh, they're out and then they step off some of those are high man some yeah of them, so some, some of the videos pool, like, was like holy shit water hurts yeah so <laughs> the, the the pool the highest we go to the pool is about a 25 foot drop um but that the the building blocks you're leading up to in that is you're going from a being able to pick the dog up and hold the dog out in front of you right so you're just going through the motions away from the pool first and then you start doing this closer to the pool. But before I ever let the guys cast with a dog, what they need to do is they need to get a rock that is the, the weight or the, the, the same feeling of a dog. Um, and they need to start doing reps with that off the side of the pool. Then they do reps off the high dive. Um, I get comfortable with their, with their methods, um, uh, you know, with their procedures on, on, the, um, on the high dive. Um, and then they come out and they start punching the dog out over the side of the pool. And then they do step offs into the side of the pool. Right. And we do a lot of positive reinforcement that way. Uh, most of the dogs at that point have swimming, uh, you know, are already proficient swimmers, but I've had a few that are not, they, they've never done a swim package leading up to that. So you can imagine the dog hitting the water and the dog just going upright, just slapping away. Right. Just not even knowing yeah. how to plane out. So, um, you know, we've had to take it back steps that way because I don't want a dog to then become fearful of the water. So we have to back it way up and just do um, swims themselves. And we usually we're pretty good about identifying dogs that need a little bit longer um, swim inoculation before they get into the helicast. So once they do that, then they go to the 25 or the, the 10 foot high dive. <clears throat> I'll move them up to the 15 foot high dive. And for my senior handlers, the guys that are uh, very knowledgeable with the procedure, I move them up to the 25 foot high dive. Um, and it's kind of like a... Um, like a farewell kind of thing, right? Like, uh, Hey, I'm putting you on the 25 foot tower because I, I trust you. And I know you're going to, you're going to do good for the dog. 
Um, and then they get up there and rock out a 25 foot cast um, off the tower. Um, and it looks really cool because they, the guys do great form coming off of it. Um, and then once they do that, then we start integrating to the, the air insert platforms. Um, I've done, I've done, you know, when I do a static cast, so a lot of my guys that are just learning, I make them do a static cast. So I bring it to like a rescue swimmer hover, um, which is about a 20 foot hover. Um, and it's static. So I can, I know that there's not going to be forward momentum, uh, reduced forward momentum. They're still going to go forward a little bit, but it's not going to be at, at, um, you know, 10 knots forward and, and 10 feet off the deck. It's going to be 20 feet off the deck and, uh, you know, maybe a, a couple knots moving forward, not, not much at all. Um, and then they start doing that and they, they rep that. And then we get to full on, uh, combat deployments where you're, where you're, you're, uh, shaking out, uh, you know, a, a Zodiac out the back of a aircraft. Um, you're, you're pushing that boat out with a, with a operator for it. And then you're just following everything out. And then you're casting that individual, um, right into the water. And then you're all swimming to the boat to complete a, a training lane going swimming up to the beach. And we swim up to, I mean, we, I do 2000 meter open water swim calls for my guys with their dog. That would work. Uh, you guys were using those Remington harnesses though. Did they have the, um, or there was, it was aerial, aerial something systems at the time or whatever. They yeah. The, uh, good. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, there. Uh, I, I know the national sales manager's name too. I'm having a total brain fart, but the dogs had the life jackets, right? Did they have those on? Yeah, they, they had, so what, what we had, we had uh, the OTBs, right? The, the big uh, over the beach bags. Um, right. You could basically put a dog up on and swim them. Like say, you know, some part of the qual is a thousand meters um, where you're pushing the dog, where the dog is preserving energy. Then you're a thousand meters off the beach and you push the dog um, forward from there to the beach. The dog has to swim through the surf with you, um, get up and then clear a beach. I mean, that, that's, that's standard stuff, but um it is, is certainly, uh, uh, when you start talking about surf, adds a whole nother element to anything you mm -hmm. do in the water, um, which the surf is kind of that great equalizer when it comes to, to being in the water with it. Oh, yeah. Some of the best Instagram accounts are the ones where people are just getting wrecked by surf. Yeah. Girls getting I gotta, hurt, drunk people yep. doing things. Yes, exactly. So I can imagine. I got a, green I got a really good shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a really good video uh, of, of, you know, it was my GoPro attached to my helmet watching um, another handler swim his dog in through the surf. Um, and it was, you know, it, it, it was calm and it was eerily calm. And I looked behind us and we were, we were the last two swimmers, um, within the team. And, uh, behind me, I saw this rogue wave that was, I mean, it, in the video, it doesn't look nearly as big as what it was, but it was out of nowhere. It came behind us and it rolled up everybody in that team, uh, because it came out of nowhere. We, we didn't think we were inside the surf break yet. And this thing came up behind us and just rolled us all, including the dog. And the dog recovered well, but certainly dogs get, they get, he got shook up in that whole deal. Yeah. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. You put me in a washing machine. Right. They don't get that. So. Nope. All right. So uh, as in the last year, a couple years, we've started to see while you're still doing that, uh, you started your own um, pet side business, uh, North County canine. That's canine is spelled out. Correct. Yeah, canine spelt out. And the training on the end of that as well. North County Canine Training is a, a full business name, but we go on Instagram or TikTok as North County Canine. Mm -hmm. So um, you, like me and Ted and Retlin and a bunch of other guys, have realized that there is um, a, a lot of ability to make good money doing the pet stuff and actually become a better dog trainer, in my opinion. Sure. Um, doing the pet side. Um, where are we at with that? What's going on? And um, tell us about the, the viral puppy obstacle course 
video. I'm sure there'll be fast roping and helo casting pretty soon. But <laughs> uh, it, I'm, I'm that thing's on that. everywhere. That video is everywhere. Yeah. It is. I, I've seen it pop up on numerous different accounts, and and uh, you know, some I've never heard of, some that are very well known. Um, but yeah, so about a year ago, uh, we kicked off this business. Um, not really knowing because it was COVID, right? We didn't, it was actually a little over about a year and a few months ago, uh, kicked off the business, not knowing what COVID had in stored, um, in store for us or, or for any business for that matter. Um, but we started it, started small, uh, training a few dogs at a time. Um, uh, just kind of going through the motions, didn't do a lot of marketing. It was all word of mouth, um, on referrals coming back to us for additional training. Um, and what started as a, as a very, uh, small time, um, has now uh, transformed into uh, kind of a multi-purpose canine training land is what I call it. Um, it's it's eighteen hundred acres out here in uh, in North County, San Diego. Um, we got a, a bunch That's a bunch of structures money right there, buddy. Woo. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, 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 from and I, I I don't so eighteen hundred eighteen hundred acres in in Southern California, anywhere in there. Uh, I don't own the land. I lo- it's a leased land. So, mm-hmm. but what we get is full access to to the resources that it has on it. Right. I get a, there's a graffiti barn on the property that is maybe you've seen it before. I've done a couple of posts in there of it. Um, but it's, it looks like you're in, in downtown LA, man. It's a building that is, is completely graffitied out. Um, but it's wide open. It's 20,000 square foot warehouse. That is huge that we used to go out and it's a little playground in there. So we do a lot of odor imprint down there. We do a lot of, uh, you know, bite, bite training down there. Um, uh, and, and then we, I got an indoor barn that we use for training, but it's really evolved into much more than I ever thought it would be, um, primarily because there's such a high demand for dog training right now. And a lot of it has to do with COVID. Um, you know, everybody got a dog. Everybody wanted to have a dog. Everybody needed a companion or a friend during COVID. Um, and that's what it's turned into. And now everybody's realizing that their dog isn't so well behaved because now they're going to work and they're away from the dog. And the dog's destroying things inside the house that it didn't, didn't destroy before when it has, oh, had eyes on all the time. Mm-hmm. Or they're taking the dog in public and he's like, you mean there are more of you motherfuckers here? Yeah. Like, I can't tell you the number of dogs that I've done and they see other people and they're like, who is this? Where, yep. where did you come from? Yeah. And so, everyone yep. in California takes their dogs everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Ohio's not like that. Yeah. California has, I mean, the, the number of dogs that you see at any given time when you're out and about um, is insane. I don't care if you're making a trip to Home Depot or if you're going to the beach in Carlsbad, there's dogs everywhere. There's, there's no, no shortage of people walking dogs. Um, which makes for a great in training environment, but it also makes for a great uh, recruiting, um, you know, uh, 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 marketing business for me when I'm walking a dog around that's, that's uh, you know, well-behaved and, and is disciplined and, and is neutral in the environment. Um, and then you have this other dog that, that's going, you know, batshit crazy. Um, and I have one of my trainers go up and pass him a card or something like that and just say, hey, if you need any help or you need guidance, mm-hmm. just let us know. We're here for you. So, um, yeah, it's it, the marketing that, that we do is is not um, it's nothing re- other than I say marketing. We've done that puppy course and I didn't know it was going to be the marketing tool that it was for us. Right. Yeah. Because now I have everybody that hits me up about, hey, I'm getting a puppy and I want it. I want it at North County Canine and I want to run it run through the course at least once a week. Um, and that's kind of what it's evolved for us um, is now this course gets daily use um, with individual with puppies that just need maybe a little bit of confidence boosting, maybe some neutral environmentals, and maybe they're not used to water. And, and now I set up the, the water trays with, you know, six inches of water and the puppy's got to run through the water um, or climbing things, navigating, uh, you know, the, the spider web that I have in there. There's crazy things. I got a little kill house. That's like a maze, right? That little orange box or that big orange box that you see in the course is a maze inside there that I can kind of transition and make different. 
So really cool where the, the dog, I, I try to keep the dog on his toes the best I can because my dog, the, the one I've had uh, that is a little bit older now, she's five months. The dog that I had was raised on that course and can is a master of that course. No matter how I set it up, no matter how I try to trick her. So now I'm adding a, an additional, I call it, it's, it's, a, it's a course that's ever growing. Um, it's a living course. I'm always adding to it, modifying it. Um, and it's not the same always. I change it up the, every time I run it. You fucking guys that can be outdoors like all the time year round. It, it, it really irritates me because <laughs> here you got a few months and then there's no outdoor stuff. You, you yeah. You can have a puppy obstacle course unless you want it ruined. Yeah. Um, by, no, it, 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 we're, we're, we're lucky to be in an environment that we are, that we can do this year round. Right. Because even in the wintertime, I can run dogs through that course. And, and honestly, the course was a vision. Um, you know, it's always been a, a thing of mine. It's like something I, I kind of dreamed of doing, but I'm like, eh, I don't have the room for it. Eh, I don't have the money for it. I don't have the time for it. Um, but what I did is I made the money for, I, I, I made time for it. I put the money towards it. Um, and I really wanted to develop, to, to develop better dogs. So when I did this, it was, I saw a bunch of these COVID puppies that were really in rough shape that, that had um, no real socialization, um, shitty environmentals, um, were, were afraid of their own shadow. Um, and what I did is I was like, okay, I got to find a way to fix this or at least help the situation a little bit. Um, and if I can take these puppies um, and expose them to this, then what kind of adult dogs am I producing right now? Mm -hmm. So, and genetics, obviously genetics plays a, a huge role in that. But um, if I can help, help a little bit of a dog that doesn't have quite as, as good a genetics as some of these, these rock star dogs have, then, you know, maybe I'm just producing a, a better end result, a better adult dog down the road. So in the pet, in the pet side, um, uh, people call it behavioral modification, but um, dealing with problem dogs is where uh, the money is, is where yep. if, if you're a trainer that says no to those, cool, that's cool. Um, but guys like us, they, we end up handling those. Now that I know what I know about dog behavior from learning from pets, not as much from high drive working dogs, do you find, if you think in your mind back to when you were training for uh, Blackwater or whomever, even overseas, the asshole dogs that knowing what you know now actually probably weren't assholes. They just might've needed a smaller kennel and some more crate yeah. time and things yep. like that. Do you, do you ever think like that? Oh, hundred percent, man. Because I have, I have the time, uh, you know, now with behavior modification or problem solving dogs, right. Um, you know, then you, you just didn't have, maybe you didn't have the time to do it. Right. Because these dogs were just, you just had to put them with the right handler that could handle the dog. Um, and you didn't think about the, 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 the training on that side, the behavior modification that needed to happen. Um, which now I have nothing but time to go, okay, how can I fix this dog? Because maybe this dog, you're right. Maybe this dog isn't an asshole. Maybe I just have to do things a little different. This dog doesn't learn the same as other dogs. I have to do things different for this dog. Um, so it has, it, it definitely, the pet dogs have made me a, a, a better trainer all around when it comes to any working dog out there. Um, pet dogs uh, above that have really assisted me in becoming a much better trainer. hundred percent. They have. I know I'm better at e-collars. Oh, oh yeah. Ever as a police oh, yeah. dog. Oh, yeah. yeah. No way. Oh yeah. I, I, my, my e-collars used way different than I did, um, you know, back in the day when, when, uh, when, e-collars were used in, in not not the way that they they should have been intended to use yeah it's it's, it's great to see that man and, and it looks like you um uh because i know you're not gonna do the military stuff forever and it's looks like you guys yep. got a nice little setup thing going give give us the um like on instagram and facebook where people can find you on there because i'm telling you guys if you go look there's some really really good content yeah. on there 
Yeah, well, our, our website will direct you to our Instagram as well. And that's northcountycanine.com. Um, and then if you hit us up on Instagram or TikTok, it's at North County Canine. Um, and then same with Facebook at uh, North County Canine. So um, pretty easy. Uh, yeah, you just kind of the full name, North County Canine. Out, not letter Canine is spelled out. Yeah, yeah not like the K-9 or the K-9. It's uh, spelled out the word Canine. Yep. What city is that in? Or close so we're, we're located uh, at Fallbrook Valley Center. Um, we're kind of in like an area, but we're just we're north of San Diego by about 45 minutes. So I can get to the city in, in 45 minutes if I need to, the airport. Which is still in the county. That's, see, the, the craziest thing for me was I remember um, uh, when I was there, I had, uh, I don't know if it was a weekend or whatever, and I drove up into, um, I think I went to San Bernardino to see somebody. It in the county I live in or the county I work in, um, I don't know. You can be from one side of the county to the other in 25 minutes. Yep. I think I was like an hour or so on the road. I'm like, I'm still in San Diego County. That's yeah, it's wild. That people over the, here the in Ohio, that's not that it's not like that. It's a weird yep. thing. Yep. And same in Minnesota. I, I, mean, I can drive um, from uh, coast to coast on a county in uh, in 20 minutes and be be the other side and I'll, I'll on the way to the cities which is a 45 minute drive for me or an hour drive for me i'm i'm crossing four different counties on the way there so it is it's it's a huge change yeah that's that's big uh ted what about you where can you be found uh ted underscore summers on instagram and then torchlight canine letter k number nine uh and then torchlight pets and then working dog working underscore dog underscore writer you'd think after three years i'd figure that shit out <laughs> Working underscore dog underscore radio. At this point, if you're listening to this and you don't know what that is yet, then I'm sorry. But that's where we also put um, some of our uh, Patreon shit up. Eric's been putting videos up. Um, I'm getting some pointers. Alicia is going to pick up a bunch of pointer puppies Monday, I think, when I leave to go to Billings, Montana. Um, and so we're going to be doing a bunch of puppy imprinting and all that kind of shit, too. So I'm going to do a bunch of videos for that. I wrote an article that I put up there about the difference between alert and TFR and the whole legal thing the legal definition, like the, the actual definition difference, like for the law enforcement side. Um, and then of course, uh, HRD police canine letter K number nine also. So what about you? E? Uh, Van S canine on Instagram, Van S canine Academy on Facebook. I got, now that I rested that back out away from the pet side and put, um, put the, just the police dog stuff on Facebook. I need to do more. Uh, I haven't been much on there. Everything's on Instagram. I do a lot on there. Um, Ridside Canine Ohio is the pet side of the, of the house. Things are doing real well. Um, but yeah, man, that's it. And again, I still am always amazed at how many people tag Working Dog Radio and listen to Working Dog Radio. And they're like, you guys are killing it. You're awesome. And I look and yeah. they don't follow you or me. Yeah. Always, always amazed by that. Oh, but, I do want to uh, say like uh, some guy reached out to me and I'm from a state that I'm not going to mention, uh, but um, his admins are giving him some shit. And we sent him some information about um, back pay and they ended up. Yeah. Problem. So you have to pay your handlers care and maintenance. You can't, you'll never win. You, you as administrator will never beat that case ever, never, ever, ever. So if you're listening to this, I'll send it to you. I'll send you the document. Pay your guys. So yeah. Dustin, man, two years into making, this was an amazing episode. Yeah, dude. Oh yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm I'm glad uh glad I had the opportunity to get on with you guys. Yeah, and if yeah. you guys are anywhere near Southern California at all, I'm telling you, um, your your the training you're gonna get there if you need training for your dog is is not gonna be beat. North County Canine Training. Yeah, come see us. Check it out. So 
I appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Fuck. I just looked. It's ten thirty over here. That means I am an hour late for the kennel. So God only knows what I'm gonna walk into. So. Yep. Hey, I know how I feel. I have a I have a pointer in there that I. If if it was legal, I'd probably stroke him right right in his (laughs) fucking throat. Oh, little pee. I call him I call him little Lord Pee Pants. Oh yeah, that's all he does is pee in the kennel nonstop, Uh constantly, man. Yes, I'm like you. You were out three minutes ago. You jerk off. So, anyways, well, thanks a lot, man. Uh, Check everybody. Check the show notes. We got everything in there. We got all the ways to reach Dustin. And um, appreciate you, man. Thank you. Oh yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Excellent. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.